Hello, everyone. I'm Priest Willis, and this is Missions in Marketplace podcast, episode number 38. Today, I'm joined by Sterling McDavid. Sterling is an entrepreneur focused on social good and design. It's one of the reasons why I started this podcast, to find entrepreneurs who believed in conscious capitalism, but wanted to give back to leave a legacy in the world. Prior to launching the Sterling Project and Sterling McDavid LLC, Sterling worked at the architecture firm Projectiles in Paris. Prior to Projectiles, Sterling was a financial analyst in the securities division at Goldman Sachs in New York. Sterling decided to quit her job in Wall Street to bring solar energy to underprivileged countries around the globe through her newly found business, The Sterling Project. The Starling Project is a charitable community that sells home candles in order to provide solar energy to under-resourced communities. The Starling Project donated $100,000 to UNICEF a year ago to provide solar energy to people in Chad, Africa. The Starling Project candles not only bring the positive difference to the world, but it also supports the U.S. economy by providing more jobs for their company partners and suppliers. I hope you really get something out of this message. Here's somebody is that works at Wall Street that people believe is just all about greed, pensions, and getting money to their own bottom line. She believed in a business providing a quality product that's created here in the U.S., but also doing social good by giving back to underprivileged and underutilized areas. This story is so inspiring to me. This is the kind of superhero stories that I look for. And without further ado, here is Sterling McDavid. Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders to discuss their passions in and outside of business and how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. Hi, Sterling. Welcome to the program. Hi, Priest. How are you? Doing well. How about yourself? I am doing well. I am excited to have you on. Obviously, you and I have had a phone conversation previous to this interview here. I read your article in Forbes, which I think your business is extremely inspirational. And I hope that our audience gets something from it. But I'd love for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself first, if you can. Absolutely. And thank you again for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. So my background, I guess I can start with college, if that's best. I went to the University of Texas at Austin, where I was in the Macomb School of Business and studied finance in undergrad. I'm from Texas. I'm very proud to be Texan. But while I was at Macomb School of Business, um, I, I really decided my goal was to end up on Wall Street. I had spent some time in New York growing up with my parents doing some business there as well. So it was really, you know, a goal that was the main thing I wanted to do. And so I made sure um, to make that my key focus. And I also knew with finance and New York that a lot of wonderful things would come from it, not only on the learning side, but just being in New York in general. There's a lot of diversity, a lot to learn, a lot of fast-paced everything. So while I was at Goldman, I actually began a focus on UNICEF as sort of an escape because as many people know, when you work on Wall Street, you're often working 15, 16, sometimes 18, 20 hour days. And and I really wanted something else. As much as I liked what I was doing, I, I needed sort of an outlet. Is that to really help true others. that you're putting in 18 to 20 productive hours, literally? It, it is. It is true. Um, I can speak for it along with all of the wonderful people I worked with. We worked very hard. Um, and in fact, 
you have no time for dating or really anything else. So <laughs> oftentimes you find that people will date within the company, which happened to me. I'm now engaged to somebody um, I used to work with, not on the same team, <laughs> um, but it's hard to meet people otherwise. So I was basically, I was lucky because I had a um, partner on my team who was all about philanthropy. So if, if I was going to miss work for anything as an analyst, it was going to be involving UNICEF. And fortunately, he was very understanding I really grew a passion for it. Like I remember going to my first UNICEF meeting because a friend recommended it. And I was kind of thinking, you know, am I going to be sold on this? This seems like a huge organization with a lot of crazy things going on. I'm not even sure this is the right cause for me. But what ended up happening was I really dug into the organization. And for me, I'm a person who doesn't take anything I do lightly. Like if I'm if I'm going to be a part of it, I need to understand it. I need to be committed. And I really did that. And it was pretty easy to do because to be honest with you, people who work for UNICEF are beyond dedicated to the cause. And I know that's true with a lot of nonprofits, but just seeing their dedication and their love for what they do and the true impact that they're having was really inspiring to me. And in addition to that, the donors are very similar. They don't do this for attention. They do this because this is what they love. And they know that the organization is having a genuine impact. UNICEF, you know, a lot of people like to look at cents on the dollar when you're donating. And they have one of the highest. I think they're at 92 cents on the dollar. Um, mm. Other organizations, you know, believe it or not, just look it up. You can actually Google these things. Organizations that are very wonderful and reputable are at 80 cents on the dollar. And mm. so for me, you know, I'm giving my hard-earned money to this cause and I want to know most of it is going to the cause. Just to be clear for the audience here, when we talk about 92 and 80 cents on the dollar, what we're talking about is every time someone donates a dollar to an organization, your thought is, well, I gave $5, you know, whatever the cause is, whether it's for water or somebody in, you know, a third world country is getting this wholeheartedly, but there's operating expenses and other things that go behind those charitable organizations and things that we don't have insight into sometimes, which means ultimately that the dollar that you've given is diluted to some degree. So your point here is that, look, UNICEF, with that understanding that there's operational costs and everything associated with it, still is at a higher percentage of payout to the place where it's supposed to actually go versus a lot of other charitable organizations. Exactly. So that was a huge piece to me because I want to know, of course, that most of my money that I'm donating is going there. And mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about UNICEF really that caught me from the beginning was that a dollar really is meaningful. And UNICEF can tell you exactly what a dollar can do, whether that's a vaccine for HIV or anything, really. I, I was very impressed, you know, because a lot of people think I can't write a hundred dollar check. I can't write a $5,000 check. So therefore, I can't really have an impact. And it's simply not true. And I, and I loved that about UNICEF because they really weren't pushing um, as much on the dollars as they were. Here's the impact you can make. Give what you can. And I liked the kind of no pressure because for me personally, I, I'm not a big fan of being told, you know, I need to give this or I need to give that. But long story short, I got very, very involved with the organization and ultimately joined the junior board, which is called the steering committee and was asked to go to Vietnam 
Vietnam with UNICEF while I was at Goldman to work in the field. Um, this essentially means you go and see projects that UNICEF is working on overseas and they're present in almost every country in the world. So Vietnam happened to be their focus for this particular field visit. And mm -hmm. they said, we think your financial expertise could help some communities come up with solutions financially, et cetera, how to manage budget. And there was a friend of mine who's a psychologist. She came to aid with children facing issues uh, like abuse, uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, et cetera. So they're very thoughtful about who they bring along on these types of trips. And I was a little bit nervous that my boss wasn't going to let me go because taking, you know, 10 days to two weeks off as an analyst at Goldman is, is not ideal. But fortunately, as I mentioned before, he was very understanding of philanthropy. And he actually said, you know, we need more people at Goldman kind of representing this type of work. So mm. I want you to go. I want you to do this. And it turned out being the tipping point for me, if you will. I went and the whole time, all I could think was, you know, I've heard about this type of poverty. I've heard people don't have water. I've heard people don't have toilets, etc. But when you see it in real life and you're working with people, it spoke to me in a way that I didn't really expect. And I came back sort of with this mentality of, I think I've found my calling in a way. I just immediately knew I needed to switch careers, which was a very difficult thing for me to do because I actually enjoyed my career in finance. Some of my best friends in the world are still at Goldman. Some have since left. Um, you know, I met my fiance there and, and my team has been immensely supportive. So, you know, to leave something you actually you know, like, and, and you see a future with to sort of pursue your real goals and your real passion. I mean, it was almost like there was something inside of me saying, you know, you have to do this. It's your responsibility to do this because not everyone will take the risk. That risk in a lot of areas was financial, right? I mean, you probably did Absolutely. relatively well at Goldman and Sachs and you don't have to give specifics, of course, but to kind of step back and begin to get into social entrepreneurship and even charities, nonprofits in some respect, you know, the nonprofit sector isn't known for paying out a lot of money. So you really have to feel somewhat passionate about a cause or something. This is what's so key about what you've done is, and this is what made your article great was because here I read about somebody that's on Wall Street and, you know, Wall Street was vilified, you know, from 2008 on in terms of just being people that are greedy and selfish. And there are spots like yourself, and we'll talk about the bright spot. That was no pun intended, but there's bright spots like yourself that come out of it. And you're doing good while working at Goldman and Sachs. And you find a passion that goes beyond that. And you even talk in one of your descriptive parts of your social media or your within your tag where you say that you're an adventurer and designer. Would you say that adventurer is the cat? to you starting this business coming out of Goldman Sachs, meaning that you're willing to kind of throw caution to the wind and bonus and benefits oh, and all that other stuff. And here you are kind of branching off into a new life, basically? Absolutely. I think I'm an adventurer in every sense of the word. I mean, to be honest with you, I, um, I've i always somewhat been that way. I'm always eager to learn something new. I'm always eager to go out and try something new and sort of explore. And I think that was a big key to this because I almost felt like if I didn't take the risk, I would have certainly regretted it for the rest of my life just because I did feel a genuine calling. You know, I, I think being an adventurer is a good thing. I think you know, seeking to learn, seeking to kind of get an idea of 
other people, the way they live, other cultures, other lifestyles, whatever it may be, was key to that. To the designer point you mentioned, ultimately, when I left Goldman, I kind of said to myself, I'm so stuck in this finance mindset. How can I get my creative juices kind of going? And so I ultimately decided I was going to go back to school because I was creative growing up, but I had ignored it. Um, Somewhat thinking, you know, I can't make money from this. I can't make a career out of this. And that was wrong, by the way. I mean, there's so many creative geniuses out there doing really well. There's many that aren't, but they're leaving, you know, this world with a bigger purpose in many ways. So I decided to go to Parsons School of Design to study interior architecture and interior design. And a lot of people ask why that? Well, architecture, of course, is mathematical in many ways. So in some ways, I found it as a safety zone. I was like, I'm good at math. I was in finance. And this is sort of, you know, a creative way to go. And Parsons School of Design, which is primarily known for fashion, really had more than Columbia for me personally, where I was looking at things like, can I take an elective in product design? You know, can I take an elective in graphic design? Because I really, really knew in my core, I wanted to start a business. And I was very inspired by companies like Tom's or the Feed Project, where there's products, but they have a bigger meaning. Part of that probably came from having two parents that are entrepreneurs, but I really wanted an easy way to share the story. And going around just sharing the story is not always the easiest outlet. So I really felt like if I could get some sort of product in people's hands, that's sort of almost a daily reminder of the cause that that was going to be the best way to go. Let's talk about this risk and let's talk about the way that you decided to go and that you went. So you did in this this school, by the way, this architecture and design school was in Paris. France, right? So Parsons is based in New York, but they have a location in Paris as well. But what I ended up doing was actually taking a job at an architecture firm in Paris called Projectiles. Um, Again, this speaks to my adventure side. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to live in Europe, get out, uh, go to a creative zone. And Paris was really calling my name. It was Mm -hmm. the perfect place to do that. So you come out, you decide that you're going to make the shift from Wall Street into starting your own business. And more importantly, you want wanted to start a business with a a social component to it. So you kind of looked at the background of Tom's. And for those of you that are here in a social entrepreneur, and some of this is somewhat new to you, just go out on Google, research conscious capitalism. Blake McCoskey, who actually started Tom's, wrote a book, Start Something That Matters. You may have heard me talk about it on past podcasts, but this is certainly kind of the focus, you know, based on conversations that Sterling and I had, kind of an approach that she wanted to take somewhat. And so with that, you decided to start your own business called Starling Project, which is essentially you're doing candles, but behind the candles, there's a meaning. And I personally bought one. I have the vanilla hemlock, which is amazing, by the way. My wife and I put it in our bedroom. And this thing, I'm telling you guys, you know, you go to Bath and Body and Beyond or whatever it is. I know I just butchered that name, but uh, it doesn't matter. I'm a guy. I get a pass for that. But if you guys smell this, the smell to it is so maybe sensuous is the right word. It really, really captures you. So this is really good stuff. But let's talk about Starling Project, Light Your Home, Light the World. Let's talk about it. What business itself that you started 
ultimately, how did you get into, you know, solar panel as the focus and how did you wrap as a point of business in giving back? Sure. So I was actually exposed to solar energy um, in Vietnam and being from Texas, I grew up around a lot of people focused on energy, of course, more on the oil side of things, but I've always been fascinated um, with energy and kind of grew up thinking a lot about clean energy. Um, I tend to be pretty conscious with the environment. So when I was in Vietnam with UNICEF, I saw solar panels uh, quite literally bringing safe electricity as well as powering pipes for clean water in rural communities. And I was fascinated by all that it could do, so much so that I really came back and sat down with UNICEF and said, what else can you do with solar energy? Because until Vietnam, I thought all you could do with it was put light in someone's place, which isn't necessarily always the first priority in a rural community. You know, Mm -hmm. some of these people need water and are having to walk 10 miles, et cetera, in one direction to fetch it. So putting a solar panel, literally you can power pipes to pump clean water directly into the center of the communities. So that was sort of my first exposure. Of course, I knew very little about it prior to that, but really seeing all that it could do, I was I was just fascinated. And then secondly, when it came to thinking, so actually the solar was the first focus. I was like, I'm going to start a business around solar. And then while I was working in Paris, it happens to be the fragrance capital of the world. And my job there was actually building spa resorts. So, and I, and I was lucky to work for a firm where attention to detail was like above and beyond. So they actually were like, okay, we're doing the architecture and the design of the spa, but we're actually going to pick the scent that's going to fill the whole space. So, um, which is a, a little bit common these days in hotels, they want to evoke all the senses. So I was doing some fragrance testing for the hotel. I literally just all of a sudden was like, I love fragrance. I love candles and I really always have loved them. But, you know, when you think of high end candles, you're like, I like them better as a gift. Like I'm not necessarily incentivized to buy them for myself. I kind of thought, well, what would make me buy a high quality candle for myself? Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there literally looking at the glimmering light from the candle. And I was like, wait, light for light. Like this could go hand in hand almost perfectly with solar energy. And so I called UNICEF almost immediately and I said, I have a very simple idea, but it doesn't look like anyone else sort of has a charitable component with candles that's really meaningful and easy to connect, like the light for light. And UNICEF just went crazy over it. They were like, it is a simple idea, but it's so fantastic. And for somebody who's in interior design, you know, it's very relatable to the rest of my business, which is designing homes. So I kind of just went with it. But then, of course, there was the other components. It took me forever to start up because I had to find the right project to fund with UNICEF. I knew I wanted a U.S.-made product because while helping rural communities across the pond, I wanted to simultaneously help American business. And so our glass is handmade in the U.S. We source our wax. It's soy wax. We source it in the U.S. We have a cotton wick also sourced in the U.S., and they're hand-poured in Brooklyn. And we're very proud of that. But of course, that leads to it being a little higher price. But the quality, and hopefully you've been able to experience this, Priest, mm-hmm. uh, is above and beyond your average candle. And it's, of course, chemical-free, which a lot of less expensive candles have some chemicals in them. And, and we wanted to make sure that was not the case with our product. So we're very proud of where we landed. And they burn you know, 60-plus hours you, you get a lot of benefits from 
the candle itself. And of course, hopefully they inspire you to uh, be reminded of lighting the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this candle just in general, just so everybody gets a sense of it. And I'll put some pictures up of my personal candle that I have here. But the quality of the product itself, the smell of it is, you know, second to none, frankly. And my wife is into buying a lot of candles and having a lot of different fragrances and trying different things. And she puts this definitely at the top of her list. So for those that are listening, this isn't a sales pitch. It just is what it is. I'm just telling you what we have here in front of us. And the fact that how it's supporting, you know, those that are in need has an amazing story behind it. So Sterling, you know, one of the things that I want to get into about this, because you bring up UNICEF and kind of how you approach them about the business, and maybe they were able to offer insight to some level. Maybe there are other entrepreneurs out there that are listening to this and saying, you know what, there are things that I like to do too, maybe not related to solar panel or, you know, have a solar component to it, but I want to do this. How much did UNICEF really connect you maybe with other people? And, you know, I know it's really tricky and murky how they can kind of get involved from a financial perspective, but did they? Were they able to offer any investment for you in your business or how did that relationship work? UNICEF makes a very clear point actually as a nonprofit not to support any businesses outright. It's nothing personal. They just want to make sure that they protect their brand as they should. You know, what they did do was help sort of guide me to a project that was appropriate for me to fund. So, and, and they were Keep in mind, I had a a longstanding relationship with them. So they put a lot of trust in me with this brand that I wasn't going to mislead anybody or, you know, sell the product in the wrong way. So again, that goes back to sort of taking human trafficking off the table when it came to making the product. Mm -hmm. It is entirely US made. We know every person who's making every component of our candle. So we know for a fact there's nothing you know, sketchy going on, if you will. But they were very helpful in finding that initial project. And what it is, is it's in Chad in Africa. We have funded a solar panel that sits in the middle of a community of 5,000 people. Um, We have given over 100,000 to UNICEF so far, which has been incredible since we've only been around a year. But that panel helps in addition to providing electricity to the community, it powers pipes for clean water. So this particular community had children out of school, mothers out of work, because all they were focused on was how they were going to get their water for the day. And Mm -hmm. this is going to put children back in school, parents back to work. Also, the electricity helps create safer cooking environments, for instance. So it, it was really huge for this community. And that made this particular project extra appealing. You know, we're literally saving lives. That's sort of the UNICEF component. When it came to funding my own business, I actually went my own route and went directly to investors who, you know, were either focused on solar or who I thought might be interested in this type of concept. It also is a majority self-funded. I did save almost everything I made on Wall Street, um, which was great. But that also makes it really tough because I knew it was my savings. But I wanted to show people that I was fully invested in this. And really, you know, the idea in a lot of ways was around, I had friends all the time who, who were saying basically what I was saying earlier, which is they were like, I can't write you know, a $200 check to UNICEF today. I hope to one day, but like, what can I do in the meantime? And this, I feel like provides them with something they can take home or gift to other people and help provide to the cause for, you know, much less. It's still, of course, a $55 candle. But again, that's the quality that's US made. That's the giving component. But our hope is that 
you know, it helps people sort of fill that void if they can't necessarily write a check outright to UNICEF. Yeah. You know, another good point that you brought up was that I, I can't remember what the documentary was that I watched on Netflix about businesses. The government and other people tend to get into their their reason for doing it is in the right place in terms of helping other countries where they drop rice in and drop food in. But what they don't realize in the midst of that is that they're kind of pushing out some of the local business and local farmers and those growing food there. And they were growing food to kind of, you know, take care of their family, in some cases, take care of their community. You know, the United States and other organizations just drop food there and it pushes them out. Your solar panel, that that's plural, your solar yeah. panels tends to open things up for them so that they can become productive. Meaning, again, it provides water for them, running water, that is. It provides light for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had it. So they can become productive in creating whatever it is that we tend to create throughout the day. Otherwise, they they would essentially be in the dark or have to you know move around where they can get access to light or something along those lines. So that's a really, really good point that... Absolutely. To your point, it's not affecting jobs. Like It's not taking away jobs from someone else. Um, in fact, the way UNICEF works, which I think is very beautiful, is they don't hand anything to any community because otherwise the community may not may or may not appreciate it. So in this particular case, we actually have employed people in the community. Uh, there are a few people employed to clean and, and care for the solar panel. There have been a couple who have been taught how to do maintenance on it. By the way, maintenance with solar panels is very little, which is part of the beauty of it. That this thing could last, last 50 years with very little maintenance. Um, so it really is a long-term solution. How much are um, we talking about, about the average solar panel typically? To be totally honest with you, it entirely varies because it depends on the size. It, In addition to that, it mm. depends on what you're doing. Because actually, you can put a solar panel on the back of a Kindle-like object, like a Kindle, the reading device, mm-hmm. for very little, like $10. And that will power the Kindle. And the reason this is relevant is because actually to ship books to these rural communities can be very costly mm-hmm. and wasteful. Mm-hmm. And then the books could get damaged, etc. But there's these like waterproof Kindle type devices that help children get these school books that they need easily electronically and they're powered by solar. Wow. So, you know, a solar panel like that, it's essentially a tiny mini solar panel or, you know, $10. And by the way, the people often think of solar as very expensive. Mm -hmm. The price is in fact coming down. They're getting better and more effective with solar panels. So, you know, what they cost five years, five, 10 years ago is no longer the case. They're much more affordable. So look, at the end of the day, you still have a business to run. What you do is certainly, I mean, to me, you're like a superhero. I mean, really any business or in somebody of your position that would step out of Wall Street where, again, you were getting bonuses and you had a lot of things to feel, quote unquote, secure and to kind of take a chance on yourself and take a chance for the benefit of others. You know, you wear a cape, in my opinion, but you have a business to run. And so there's ways that you still have to market it so that people find you and you have to get into. And I don't know how competitive it is from a candle perspective, but how do you on the business side, how do you market your business so that people know that you're doing good, people, they want to be a part of it, but also they want to, they just want to buy candles too. And they want to, the price may be a little different. So in some respects, you're not going to compete with the Bed Bath & Beyond because you serve a different purpose. Sure. Everything is done in the US. But how do you compete in a space like yours, both from a marketing perspective and otherwise? How are you approaching that? 
what I have found, well, firstly, I went into a business that was in some ways risky because it's very concentrated. There are a lot mm-hmm. of candles on the market. Mm-hmm. What I kind of looked at, and, and we don't necessarily fall in the category of a Bed Bath & Beyond candle um, for multiple reasons. I consider our competitors more like a Joe Malone or a Diptyque, which are fabulous candles, but again, they're, they're quite costly and without a purpose. So mm. I wanted all the quality that they have in their candles and maybe even better. I was shooting for the stars in a way. And and our candles, as I mentioned, burn 60 hours and some of our competitors don't come close to that. But having chemical free and all of this, you know, it took a lot of diligence and it was very important to me at my core. But then that meant taking that and marketing that to people who kind of understand that because, you know, one of the number one buyers of our candles are are parents um, with young children because they don't want to expose many of them, by the way, were not informed until they saw me speak at conferences, etc. that some of the candles you may buy under the $30 price point, especially tend to have chemicals that can be harmful. And so we have found one of our biggest successes in terms of marketing to be speaking at conferences. Um, I've done some for financial firms like JP Morgan um, and Goldman. I have also done them at smaller events where maybe it's a women's business conference or women in small businesses, things like that. And I see people kind of hear this story and they go, wow, I didn't know all of this about candles. Also, we, we've spent so much time on our fragrances. Um, and we literally stand on the streets of New York asking people how they feel about fragrances we mix. Cause our whole goal <laughs> is for nobody to cringe. It's not, you know, and, and it's hard, like the fragrance, it's very subjective. People have their own views, um, and they like their own things, but our goal is let's have no one, you know, be disgusted by anything we make. We want everybody to love it. And so actually, to be honest with you, standing on the corner of the street in New York, you get a lot of questions. Like, what are you doing? That has to be weird standing on the corner in New York. Like, smell this, smell this. It's so, it's, I have to admit, it's pretty (laughs) hilarious, but I'm a true believer from my finance background and business background in um, firsthand, you know, experiences because I could ask all my friends to smell them and let's be real. They're going to give me some sort of biased opinion to be nice. So I'm like, that's not helpful. But, And finally, after speaking at some of these conferences and things like that, we did have press outlets become very interested. You know, you spoke about the Forbes article. That was such an awesome surprise when they reached out with interest. But I think, you know, they hear the story. I did go, you know, from a well-paying job on Wall Street and and took a big risk in, in starting a real passion project. And fortunately, I think the story resonates with a lot of people. And that's really our goal is to spread the word about what solar energy can do, what UNICEF is doing, and have everybody be a part of it. We named this company Starling. And a starling is a bird. And it's very beautiful individually, like one of the prettiest birds I've ever seen. But it's 10 times more beautiful when tens of thousands of starlings come together in the sky and they do these pulsating kind of dance formations. And the whole idea behind it is... You're beautiful individually, but you're 10 times more beautiful and impactful when you come together. And it's it's really about collective action. And I think people understand that. Like we're all better when we work together. And what a, what a time 
than now for a message like that to resonate, right? Where people are Absolutely. like, they're kind of down because of the political environment and so many things going on. And it's like, hey, together, we're still beautiful and we still can get a lot done. And we don't have to let one thing or one, you know, whatever, wherever your position may Absolutely. be, set you off a course, right? Come together with a group of people and remain positive. I, I love that message. That is really good stuff right there. You know, Sterling, one of the other things that I wanted to ask and you know, this was a question that I had about Tom's. Now, obviously, I know that Tom's shoes is profitable and the case could be made. And I remember somebody making the argument about their business model and such, but they're profitable. And I believe they were purchased by Amazon. Can someone who is starting a social business like yours be a profitable business? Meaning, is it something where you can bring in other employees and people that that they can invest in and raise families and really work? Or is it it kind of a one-woman passion thing that, you know, it's... You can hit a window. I mean, you know. No, it's it's absolutely, it's funny. I got a lot of questions from people surrounding, you know, you leave this job that pays so much and mm-hmm. now you're going to make nothing. And that is <laughs> a huge misunderstanding of the business because as I mentioned previously, in our first year of business, we gave over $100,000 to UNICEF mm. and that was people buying product. Now, that being said, you know, I currently am getting my income from my design business. So I have made a conscious decision at this point in my, the Starlink project to reinvest funds I make back in the business Mm -hmm. or to directly to the cause. And that's because I want to show people we're not messing around. This isn't for me to make money or for the cause to not be fully funded. I mean, this is all about spreading the word and the cause. That being said, our goal, as we do projections at the five-year mark, 10-year mark, is for this to be a fully profitable business with multiple employees. Um, Tom's is the perfect example of that. Another great example is Feed Project. Mm. Lauren Bush Lauren started her business identically to the way I did. She worked with UNICEF um, and the World Food Program. And I think for the first few years, I do not know this, but I would guess that it was similar for her in that she probably wasn't taking money out herself and probably wasn't making a lot for herself. You know, she probably wanted to put it back in the business, but she now has, I think, probably 15 full-time employees. And I totally see the same happening for our company. And that's my hope. I, I actually get people reaching out on a regular basis, asking for job opportunities with us. And um, I regret that we are currently not at a point where we can pay them what most of these people would like to be paid in salary. But our goal 100% is to get to that point and to be able to do that. And hopefully within the next three years, that would be our real high end goal. But at the moment, it's all about, you know, kind of focusing on growing the business and putting money back into it. And just to be clear, when you first started the Starling Project, were you working it still full-time at Goldman Sachs and then kind of doing stuff on the side? Or did you literally just jump in feet first or well, first? I always like to say I take risk, but I only take calculated risk. So go. when I left Goldman, I chose to go to Parsons. And I I knew for sure I was going to start some sort of business. As I mentioned, I just didn't know exactly what it was going to be. So I did take a risk and just jump into something else. But it was school, which I always consider education, you know, different than just 
going out on a whim. And part of the reason I wanted more education was because I wanted to be better prepared to start this type of business. And I wanted it, like, I fully designed the product. So, you know, that, and I probably, it's, it's a very simple aesthetic, but I still probably couldn't have done that without graphic design experience, you know, product design experience. And all of that came from my time at Parsons. So I really just knew what I didn't know and knew what I wanted to learn. And I got in there and I did it um, with this being the end goal. So if others want to get involved in starting a company that gives back similar to yours, you know, what's the best advice would you give to them, including, you know, some of the things that maybe you would do differently or pitfalls that you've ran into? What are, you know, one or two key things that you would say to start off with? First and foremost, I would say, don't do anything unless you are 100% all in passion wise. I am a firm believer that if your heart's not all in it, you're probably not going to succeed. And there's already been huge obstacles for me in this process. And I feel that if my heart wasn't really in it, I might have already turned away, to be honest (laughs) with you. So, you know, and and to see kind of the first year go by and to see interest from Forbes or Self Magazine or Elle, that it's press, but it was like reassuring to me. I was like, people are getting the story. And Mm -hmm. that it it seemed like it took forever for people to really get the story. Um, even though, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, what you've done in just one year is so impressive. But what you have to remember was I was really working on it a year before the official launch, right? These things do take time. So first and foremost, I would tell somebody, be sure you're all in, like you're really passionate. And the second thing I would say is do your due diligence, really look at every little detail you can into what cause you might be giving to what organization you might go through to do so, um, what, who you're going to source your products from. So, you know, I met with over 15 manufacturers, you know, and God knows how many people I went through in terms of the, the product details that I mentioned earlier, like the cotton wick and the glass and who to source from and, and who did I feel write about, you know, who did Mm -hmm. I want to grow with for 50 years, you know, and it seems crazy to think about that kind of decades of business with one person. But my goal was like, I don't want to be switching people all the time. Like I'd rather hit it right from the start. So doing that due diligence, it was tough. It made my business arguably launch later than I wanted it to. But it was more important for me to get it right than get it out there before it was really perfect. Because let's be real, first impressions are everything. So I really wanted to make sure I had the product um, that I had envisioned in my head perfect. That's really sage advice in terms of finding the right connections. Because when you do start a business, you want to make sure that people have the same vested interest that you do. Sometimes people just run through the the motions of whatever it is that they do. And you want to say, no, look, this is a little bit different and I want to approach this differently. So don't, don't treat me like you would the other people. And so that's really, really good advice. So Sterling, what's your plans for this year for the business and you know, yourself, as you continue this journey, what do you want to get accomplished? Actually, I recently visited Rwanda with UNICEF. So given the business is growing, we're actually looking for more projects and more opportunities to fund from a solar perspective. And, you know, a little, preview is that we are likely going to go the direction of another project um, in Rwanda, which is very exciting. So that's, you know, kind of our first goal of the year is to lock down another project that we can fund with UNICEF. And then we're really kind of looking at our product line and saying, we're getting a lot of demand from customers for different things. So holiday scent has been one of the biggest asks. 
Um, we tried very hard to get one last year, but it wasn't, it just wasn't perfect. And as I said, I don't put it out if it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. So we do have that goal for this year to, um, hit kind of the ground running in terms of fragrance for the holidays. In addition to that, we've had a lot of requests around, you know, products like the trios, if you've ever seen the small three candles in a kind of a gift pack, because a lot, a lot of people, it's a great compliment but a lot of people are like i can't pick i like them all and i just want to i guess i just want to give like three to one you know have people kind of have the option so we are looking to expand our product line um we have a new scent coming out in march that we're excited to announce and yeah so we're continuing to just focus on building out the line that's good stuff so how can others get involved in your mission if they want to if they kind of want to support you is it purchasing candles what more can they do above and beyond that even you know, we obviously want somebody to get something out of it and and have this reminder, kind of this memento that they're helping such an amazing cause. So, you know, first and foremost, I think buying a candle is, is one of the easiest ways to support our mission. And in addition to that, you know, I have people reach out about things all the time. I, a, another great way to help our mission is to reach out and have us speak at an event. If there's one that's relevant to social good or solar, or maybe it's just insp- about inspiring people. I love to do those types of events personally, and we are very open to doing many of those. And in fact, that's part of our plans for 2017 is to add to the list of conferences we speak at. You By the way, totally to do, do, it do the conscious small. capitalism. Absolutely, we love stuff like that. So, and and of course, reach out if you if anyone wants to personally understand more about solar. I'm always happy to talk about different options. And, and I'm also here, I, I, I sit on the New York board for UNICEF and I'm also the chair of national development for UNICEF's next generation. And so I am here if there are questions around UNICEF and if you have even deeper questions, I can point you in the right direction. So we hope that this inspires people to look more into this cause. Definitely. If they want to reach out to you, how, what's the best ways for them to, to connect with you? The best way is info info at starlingproject.org. Of course, you can visit our website at starlingproject.org, but all emails will be filtered to me. So certainly reach out with any questions, comments, etc. Thank you so much, Sterling. That was great. And I appreciate your time. Thank you, Priest. I really appreciate you reaching out to do this. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online, or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at AffiliateMission.com, the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious.